Acts chapter 4. Let's look at something we've been looking at together over the last several weeks. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32, the Bible says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of how many hearts? One heart. What a miracle. Thousands of people with one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Notice that again, with great power, the apostles gave witness. There will never be anything more powerful to come out of your mouth than what you are a witness of. That's the most powerful thing you'll ever say to anybody is what you are a witness of. What's a witness? Somebody who has seen, somebody who has heard for themselves. You don't get called as a witness in a courtroom unless you saw something, unless you heard something. That's what makes you a witness. And if you're a witness without seeing something, you're a liar. If you're a witness and you didn't hear something, then that's not the truth. But the most powerful thing that will ever come out of your mouth is your own testimony. Amen? And that's what it's saying here. These apostles were witnesses of the resurrection. And that's why there was so much power in the preaching. They were going, we saw it, man. We heard it. We were there when he preached. We were there when they nailed him to a cross. We were there when he got up three days later. You can't tell us it didn't happen. So with great power, they gave witness. With great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And read this next statement with me. And great grace was upon them all. Say it again. And great grace was upon them all. This is what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. The great grace of God that was on this church in the scriptures and the grace that's on this church here in Green Mountain Falls, Colorado, and all of you uh, joining us online from all over the world, we're believing for great grace to be on us just the same way it was on them. And it really is kind of just a summary statement of what was going on in church. You back up a couple of chapters, Jesus had told them, go wait for the Spirit of God. And you remember this, we've talked about it. The Spirit of God filled the room where they waited. The, the Spirit of God filled them. They all began to speak with other tongues. What is that? I'm going to ask you a series of questions here, and I want you to answer me. Uh, here's a hint. The answer is, that's grace. Okay? So what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's grace. What about, what about the, the thousands of people that were added to the church in a single day? What is exponential church growth? What is that? That's grace. What about the miracles that began to take place where the, the lame man received strength in his feet and his ankle bones and he went running and leaping and praising God? What is that? That's grace. That's grace. What is um, the, the fact you read this here just in the verses before what we just read? The Bible says there was no lack among them all. How can you have a church full of thousands of people and there not be any lack among them? What is that? That's grace. That's the grace that was on that church. And that's the grace I'm believing for you and I to begin seeing in this church. 
And we've already had a taste of this grace. It took grace to get this place. It took grace to get this place open. It took grace to get you here. None of this is the result of you or me or any of us working for it, performing for it, uh, deserving it. Now, there was some work involved, but as we'll see, I think, in the weeks to come, Paul tried to explain that to people. He said, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace that was with me. So where'd the strength come from to, to work on this place? What is that? What is that strength? That's grace. What is it that got you here? That's grace. Some of you came from down the street. Some of you came from other places across the nation. It's grace that got us together. It's grace that'll cause this place to grow. It's grace that'll bring people and get them born again, get them filled with the Holy Spirit. It's grace that'll be the source of the outbreak of signs, wonders, and miracles up in this church. It'll be grace. Now, like I said, we've tasted of it, but there's more. There is more grace available to it. And the thing is, if he's given more grace, I want it. Do you want it? I mean, it's like, God, if you're just giving it out, then yeah. Yeah, I'll take some. I keep thinking this phrase this week. I don't know if it's right or scriptural or not, but I'm, I'm greedy for his grace. If he's just giving more of it away, I want it. And I want to do what we see in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, that says, continue to grow in the grace. I'm not happy. Well, I am happy, but I'm not satisfied and content to stay just with the measure of grace that we've tasted of so far. Like I said, I want to grow in it. And I want the same thing that was said about this church that we're reading about to be said about the one you and I are sitting in right now, that great grace was on all those people. Great grace on this house, great grace on your house. I got a text from a man in our church a few weeks ago, and it was probably, I'm guessing, the sixth text I've got from him just since they've been coming here and moved here to be a part of the church, one right after another, God just did this. God just did that. I just got promoted. I just got a, a better this and a raise and so on and so on. I finally just wrote him back and I was like, bro, sounds to me like great grace is on your house. Man, I'm just thinking in those terms now. And I encourage you to start doing the same thing. Great grace is on us all. I want you to look forward into the uh, fifth chapter of the book of Acts. And look at verse 12. I want to add a layer to this today. We're seeing grace manifested in people being born again and people being filled with the spirit and, and miracles happening and the church growing. All of this is this grace of God on these people. But there's another side to it. And you see it here in verse 12. 12 through 14, the Bible says, Through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. So when it says many, it's saying there's too many to, to just list. You know, a few days ago it was one, but these miracles just kept popping and popping and popping. And now he's got to sum it up by saying it, it was a lot of them, too many to name. Many signs and wonders done among the, among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Verse 13, yet none of the rest dared join them. Listen to this phrase. But the people esteemed them highly. 
Now, verse 14 says, believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So it's really just kind of a recounting of what we've already seen so far. Miracles are happening. The church is growing like crazy. Now, this verse says there's the, 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 none of the rest of them dared join them. It's kind of strangely worded because you get to the next verse and you see where a lot of people are joining them. One translation says, no one dared harm them. It's interesting. No one dared harm them. And yet I imagine there were those that wouldn't join them out of fear of the religious people and fear of men's opinions and what they might do to them. So however you read it, there were some that wouldn't join. There were those that wouldn't dare harm them because, notice that statement again, the people esteemed them highly. So you've got favor with God, right? The grace of God on them and everything we've already talked about. But now you add this other layer to it and they've got favor with people, favor with God, favor with men. As the grace of God grows on you and on your life, one of the ways that grace manifests and shows up over and over again is the favor that you have with other people. You need some favor with other people. And God knew that we would need some favor with other people. We are living in a world, and in case you hadn't noticed, you're not the only one in it. I know a lot of people live like they're the only one in it, but you ain't. And I hope that's not news to anybody in here this morning, but we're not the only ones in it. You interact with people all the time. And like you've heard me say it before, there are many people I believe that are like, man, I'd be an awesome Christian if it weren't for other people. <laughs> if there was nobody else in this world, man, I'd be loving God. I'd be the most exemplary Christian you could find. But you're not the only one. There are other people and you and I need favor with other people. Amen. Now, when you see that favor show up in your life, you need to be quick to recognize and say, what is that? That's grace. That's grace. And it's not just grace and favor with them, but it's an overflow and a manifestation of the grace and the favor that you have with God. But you need some favor with other people and you want it too, right? I mean, think about how different your life would be if you had just overflowing favor with other people, other men and women. What if there were just on a regular basis, people just doing stuff for you and they had no idea why they were doing it for you? What if, what if you were in a store and, and you needed to buy something or needed to make an exchange and the person behind the register said, you know what, I don't even know why I'm doing this, but here's two more boxes of peaches. Didn't we hear something about that already this morning? Be quick to recognize favor, favor with people. I know when we're, uh, when we were building this place and doing a lot of construction here and the construction we're getting ready to do, man, I need some favor. I want favor with the Colorado Department of Transportation. I want favor with city officials. I, I want people to go, you know what? We never do this for anybody, but come on. Would you like that happening in your life? Favor with other people. What does that look like? It's not just people doing something for you, but it's people being open to you. It's, be, it's people being receptive to you. 
where they wouldn't be before, but you've got favor with them, so you've got the ability to say something. You've got the ability to be a witness or, or communicate in a way to them that maybe they are closed off to everybody else, but there's something about you. Maybe they are the crankiest person in the office and they don't get along with nobody but you. And there's just something about you. And they just walk by your desk and they think, I don't know why, but I like that guy. I like that girl. What is that? That's favor. That's grace. We've been looking at that verse in the book of Luke chapter two, talking to us about Jesus and his childhood. From the time he was 12 to the time he was 30, the Bible says he grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor. Now listen, favor with who? Favor with God. And it's that same word translated grace. Grace, favor, favor, grace. And yes, Jesus spent those 18 years growing in that grace of God, growing in that anointing, growing in that assignment. But all the while that was happening, what else was going on? He was growing in favor, not just with God, but with men. Growing in favor with God and men. And you can see it in his life, right? I mean, you have to have a crazy amount of favor to walk up to a couple of dudes in a fishing boat who you don't know and they don't know you. And you say to them, hey, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. What's that mean? Now, you and I have the luxury of 2,000 years of knowing what he meant by that. These guys are like, what'd he say? And yet they looked at him and there was something about him. There was something I like to say magnetic that they dropped their net and followed him. That's favor. It's favor with men that Jesus could stand up and preach. And the Bible says the common people heard him gladly. There was an openness to receive from him. Why? Because Jesus just spent the last 18 years growing in grace and growing in favor with God. Sure. But with people, this may come as a shock to you, but people liked Jesus. Now I say that with like a little asterisk next to it because not everybody did. There were sure there were thousands that came to hear him preach. Thousands that came to witness the miracles and receive of the grace of God. Sure. But then there were those, and it just seemed like it was their mission in life to oppose him, take him out, look for fault. I mean, how would you like that? If somebody followed you around everywhere you went, listening to you, waiting for you to make a mistake. Jesus had trouble with two groups of people more than anybody else, Pharisees and family. So don't be shocked when you have trouble with the same two groups, Pharisees and family. So here's Jesus who's been growing in favor with God and men, favor with God and men, favor with God and men. But what I need to, what I need you to understand is that having favor with people doesn't mean everybody likes you. It's not about having favor with everyone. It's about ha having favor with the right ones, right? I mean, there are some people in some places right now, places in government, places in business, places in the community, and they can help you. 
They can help you get what you need. They can help you do what you need to do. We've already addressed our business owners today. What would it be like to run your business with great favor with the city? Great favor with the county. Great favor with people in places. Now, you don't have to have everybody like you. You don't have to have everybody showing you favor, but there are some right ones in some right places with the favor of God and the favor of men on your life. You can get some doors open. You can get some things done. Amen. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. That overflow of the grace, the grace and favor that we have with God spilling over into favor with other people. What if, what if I were able to take you in scripture to a key, everybody say a key, a key key that unlocks that kind of favor. I mean, if I handed you that key today, would you put it into practice? Would you go right away to unlock whatever grace and favor has been locked up and you've needed access to? Would you go to work today in getting more of that favor, both with God and with people, men and women? Sure you would. Don't turn there. I'm going to read this to you out of the book of Proverbs, but I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, let's just look at verse 3. Put that on the screen for us. Proverbs 3, verse 3 in the New Living Translation. Notice what it says here. Everybody look at it. Never. Well, there's a strong word. Never let loyalty, other translations say faithfulness. That's what loyalty is, right? It's faithfulness. A man who is loyal to his wife is a faithful man. A woman who's loyal to her husband, to her family, that's a faithful woman. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. How often should loyalty and kindness leave you? Ever. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. I like it. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Tie what around your neck? Loyalty and kindness. I want to center in on kindness. This word kindness you're going to see today as we talk about it is much more than niceness. Now, niceness is a good place to start. If you haven't been nice, go ahead and start. That's a good place. But you study this word, particularly this one, and it's, it's more than niceness. It's what Sarah already ministered to us about this morning. It's the, the hesed. That's the Hebrew word for it. The hesed kindness of God. It's covenant kindness. It has to do with mercy. And actually some translations say that. Never let faithfulness and mercy leave you. It's that loving kindness of God. It's the tender mercies of God. You start talking about kindness and you start tapping on the heart of God. It's what makes him who he is. Well, I thought God was love. Yeah. Now you go, we don't take time to turn there, but if you were to look at 1 Corinthians 13, that great love chapter, right? There's a long list in in 1 Corinthians 13 of comprised of what love is, what love does. There's a lot of things in that list about what love is not, 
What love does not do, love is not rude, love does not behave unbecomingly, love does not keep a record of wrongs, love does not envy, love does not boast, right? Over and over and over again. So that should tell you, you can learn as much about love by studying what it's not as you can by studying what it is and what it does do. But by contrast, it's interesting to me that out of that whole list, there are two words that define what love is. The greatest force in all the universe, the force that created this place, the force that sustains this place, the force that gives you life every single day. I mean, you take a deep breath. Where'd you get that? Love gave that to you. And two words describe the whole thing. You go through that list of all the things it's not, of all the things it doesn't do, there are only two words to tell you what it is. Love is patient and love is kind. You have just summed up God. I mean, if it's even possible to say that all that he is and all that he does can be surmised in these two words, in his patience and in his kindness. And you start talking about kindness, you're talking about him. Yeah. Keep your place here. But Ephesians chapter two says in verse four, he said, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ by grace, by that gift you've been saved and raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now listen, that in the ages to come, that's not just today. That's not just next week. That's not just the rest of your life on this planet. That's in eternity. This is what's going to be happening for eternity. That in the ages to come, he might show. Somebody say show. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace. How's he going to do it? In his kindness. He is going to spend eternity showing you something. You and I are going to spend the eons in the presence of God and do not be surprised one day, 10,000 years, a hundred thousand years from now, when God comes to your mansion and says, you busy? And you say, not too busy for you. And he says, I want to show you something. I want to show you something. What is it to be shown? You can see it. It's more than talk. It's more than words. I want to show you something. And yeah, his grace is wonderful. It's a wonderful thing to talk about. It's a wonderful thing to believe. But you want to know how he proves it? You want to know how he shows his grace and his kindness? I'm going to show you something. Kindness. That's the word he used when he said, never let kindness leave you. Tie it around your neck. Let's say you're getting ready in the morning. Gentlemen, you've probably done this at least once in your life. You're getting ready. You're going somewhere nice. You put on the suit, the jacket, you got the button up shirt, but you're not done yet. Are you right? Depending on how nice the place is, you got to go. There are some places you can go in this world and some high level business things where if you don't have a tie on, you're not finished getting ready. 
And I've been in a few places like that where it was just right to wrap that thing around your neck, cinch it up tight. I don't know the dude that came up with that or what his problem was, but it's a part of culture all over the world today. You're not done getting ready sometimes until you wrap that thing around your neck and you, the rabbit goes around the tree and down the hole and you pull it up tight. But if you notice this, fellas, you ever worn a tie before? Can I see your hands? Just some participation today. Thank you. You notice something about that tie? Once you put it on, it went everywhere you went all day long. Why? Because it was wrapped around your neck. And I don't know if you've thought about this before, but everywhere your neck goes, you go. If your neck ever goes somewhere that you didn't go, it's just the one time. It will, it will never happen again. Can you see what he's saying? And we need to treat it the same way. Some people will drive away from the house on their half hour drive to work, get 28 minutes there, realize they forgot their phone and think, I'm naked without that. I got to go home, right? Go home, get the phone, get the wallet, whatever it was you forgot. We got to think the same way about kindness. If that's not wrapped around your neck, when you're leaving the home, you didn't get finished getting dressed. Don't go to work naked, please, for the love of God. And I beg if you don't come to church that way either. Wrap that around your neck. Tie it around your neck, he said. Write it deep within your heart. Put that back up there, uh, chapter three, verse three. Tie it around your neck. Write it deep within your heart. Some of you may be old enough to remember that old ad campaign, don't leave home without it. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Go to that next slide. Write them deep within your heart. What's that mean? If it's written on your heart, it's a part of who you are. It's become a part of you. But I want you to notice verse four. Look at what the result is of kindness being tied around your neck. Then you will find, what will you find? Favor, Favor. with who? Both God and people. There's your key. There is the master key that unlocks untold dimensions of grace and favor, both with God and with other people. It's you being kind. I feel like today we're getting into something that I want to define us as a family. We've talked for weeks and months from the early days. We're still in the early days, but the early, early days of the church, when we were getting together in the hospitality room, we said, we want this place to be an atmosphere of faith and love. That's got to be the air that people breathe when they come into this church. What's that smell? Faith and love. These people believe God and they love each other. But we can talk love all day long but how many know there's only so long you can talk it without showing it? How does love show up? 
in our kindness? Kindness is the part of love that you can actually see. You can see it in action. And that needs to be the culture of this church. Well, I want this place to be known for our faith. Well, that's a good thing. But what did Paul say? 1 Corinthians 13, I could have faith to move mountains, but if I don't have love, if I don't have patience and I don't have kindness, how much am I? Nothing. I am nothing. I'm nothing in the sight of God. I'm nothing in the sight of other people. Faith is a wonderful thing, but it works by love. I want this to be the culture, the very atmosphere of this church. You're there in the book of Acts. Go to the last chapter of this book, Acts 28. We won't take time to read it, but Acts 27, you're familiar with the story. Paul had been taken prisoner and uh, they were putting him and something like 275 almost people on a boat. And they were getting ready to set sail. You may remember this. Paul spoke up as a prisoner and said, uh, Sirs, excuse me, but I perceive this voyage, let me just put it in my own language, it's not going to go right. It's not going to go well. Um, I perceive, he said, that this is going to end in a lot of loss. But these guys weren't about to listen to a prisoner. Man, the Lord's talking to him, right? And he gave them the warning that he could, but they got on the boat. Everything looked fine. They set sail. But you know the story. It wasn't but a few days. And man, these guys sailed right into this nasty storm. This thing had a name. Eurocladon, they called it. We can call it Dawn for short. Hurricane Dawn uh, was going up the coast. And they sailed right into this. And the Bible says that a couple of days later, they're throwing all the ship's cargo overboard. That's money, man. That is money going overboard. It got worse. Now they're throwing the ship's tackling overboard. And this went on for day after day after night after night. And they said they couldn't even see the sun when it was day. They couldn't see the stars when it was night. They're just being driven by this storm. And they're getting beat up. I, I can only imagine what else was going over the side of the ship. I mean, you spend day after day after day in that kind of storm. And you're up with the sea and down. And that's what the Bible says. They were driven up and down through the sea. 14 days into this. 14 days Finally, an angel of the Lord shows up and speaks to Paul and he goes and says to the guys, I just picture him there on the bow of that ship, you know, trying to be stable. He's like, guys, listen, listen, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay for this night. The angel of the Lord has stood beside me and said, I got to go talk to Caesar and it's going to be okay. We're going to lose the ship, but we're not going to lose our lives. And he said, y'all need to eat something. It's been 14 days since y'all had anything to eat. And they did. They, they, they finally had a little bite to eat. I mean, these guys are in a bad way. And sure enough, the next day, there's just enough light. They begin to make sight with land. And they sent these soundings out. And, and it said, oh, we're, we're, we're 20 fathoms. And then a few minutes later, they sent another sounding. We're 10 fathoms. They can tell they're getting closer. So then the Bible says, not wanting to be shipwrecked into the rocks. They dropped anchor where they were and that's when they could begin to see the land. And they, they, they found this little beach in this little cove. 
They had no idea what they were looking at, but they thought, we're going to just try to run the ship right into that. So they dropped the anchors, left the anchors in the water, and they headed for that beach. The Bible says where the, the two seas came together, they ran aground. They're not on the beach yet. They're still far out. And the waves start pounding into the ship. And this, this ship is being broken up with every crashing wave that's coming over it. And uh, Paul's a prisoner, like a bunch of these other guys. And so some of the people over them said, we need to kill them so they don't get away. But Paul had some favor. There was one guy on that boat. This is one of his captors. There was one guy that liked Paul. So Paul ended up getting spared. And because this guy liked Paul, because Paul has some favor with him, saved everybody else's life on that boat. Favor. Favor. But sure enough, the boat's breaking up. So these guys jump ship and they start swimming to shore. I mean, can you imagine being in this going, what hell have I been living through for the last two weeks? Two weeks, it's got to seem like an eternity. Nothing has gotten any better. Things have only gotten worse. You saw some land, so you thought that was better. Next thing you know, you're bobbing up and down in the middle of the sea, waves crashing over you. You don't even know if you're going to make it to shore, but they did. They did. They swam from that boat that was getting beat up and they swam all the way to the shore and you get to chapter 28 and the Bible says in verse one, when they had escaped, other, other translations say, uh, when they had made it to safety, they'd made it safely to the shore. They found out that the island was called Malta. And in verse two, it says the natives showed us unusual kindness. I can't imagine what this was like. You're thinking, could things get any worse? And you wash up on this beach and I don't know, out of the palm trees come the natives. I mean, I got something in my mind out of a movie, right? These natives come and they're all pierced with bones through their nose and spear. I don't know if it was or not, but this is what I'm imagining, right? And you... Somehow you made it to shore. Somehow you get yourself up off the beach and only to see, I don't know, 500 natives. And you're thinking to yourself, could this get any worse? What's about to happen? Are these people going to capture us? Are they going to put us over that fire where they spin you slowly and an apple in your mouth? I've watched too much TV, I guess, but what's about to happen? But you can almost hear it in the way Luke wrote this. Listen to it from the Weiss translation, Acts 28. It says in verse 2, I don't know if we have that. We can put it on the screen. If we don't, just listen. It says, the inhabitants who were such that they did not speak Greek, nor did they possess Greek culture. So all that is in this word native. I think King James says the, the barbarous, where we get barbaric, kind of gives you an image of what, maybe what they were looking at. He said they didn't speak Greek. They didn't possess Greek culture. They showed us not the humane and kind treatment with which one meets ordinarily, but listen to these words, but an uncommon, extraordinary, humane and kindly treatment, which was the expression of their natural affection for their fellow man. Did you hear those words? unusual 
kindness. Did you hear this? Uncommon kindness. That's this hesed kindness and mercy of God. Unusual. Uncommon. And can't you hear it in the way he's writing it? This is not what they were expecting. And you probably wouldn't either. After two weeks of hell on earth, you're thinking, yeah, this seems about right. I thought I was going to die in the ocean, but no, it looks like I'm going to die on this island. <laughs> and how shocked they were to find that these people who didn't speak their language, didn't possess their culture, yet they showed them this uncommon kindness. What did this uncommon kindness do? It says, for having set fire to a heap of sticks, they took all of us to themselves because of the rain, which having come down upon us was now a steady downpour and because of the cold. Uncommon kindness. They washed up on these people's shore and I don't know what these islanders, these natives were thinking. But what a risk it was, right, to show them some kindness. I mean, the response, I guess, could have been, you know, let, let, let's see what they're here for. Do you come in peace? You know, they, they've got their, their spears ready in case these people are not peaceful people. You know, guns cocked. We're not sure. But that's not the way they approach these people. An uncommon kindness. They washed up on the shore, shipwrecked out off the shore. It's raining. It's cold. And instead of standing far off, what'd they do? They, they couldn't speak the language. I guess they just, uh. <laughs> they built them a fire. Bible says they took them in. I don't know if that means it gave them, they gave them shelter. It's raining. These guys are cold. They've been through this near-death experience. And how thankful I can imagine Paul and Luke and the different ones who were just shipwrecked were when they were treated with an uncommon kindness. Do you realize people in this community right now where we are are living shipwrecked lives? Their marriages shipwrecked. Falling apart with every beating wave, every wave that swells up bigger and higher and crashes down on them. Finances, shipwrecked. Relationships, totally shipwrecked. I guess my question, church, is when they wash up on the shores of this church, how will the natives treat them? Because what they need is an uncommon kindness. Now, if we just looked at that alone, it would be stirring, right? But there's something here, and I don't know that we've been quick enough to make the connection. Because after they were treated with kindness and they built them the fire, most people focus on the next few verses. Paul gets bit by a snake. Okay, whatever. He shakes it off. He's fine. But the Bible says in verse 7, in that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was, now look at it. How would you pronounce that name? P Publius, something like that. I looked it up this weekend. It's actually Poplios. 
I'm not quite sure why the English spelling got put that way, but it's poplios. You want to know what word we get from that word in the Greek? Popular. The leading citizen of the island. This is literally Mr. Popular. <laughs> this is the most popular guy on the island. And he's got these estates. And it says in verse seven, in that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Mr. Popular. And look at what he did. Who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. Other translations talk about the hospitality that he showed for three days. Can you imagine spending three days with somebody who does not speak your language? And yet you're thoroughly enjoying yourself. This person's taking care of you. He's entertaining for you. He's, he's providing everything you need courteously with hospitality. That goes to show you that kindness is a universal language. Whether they speak your native tongue or not, they speak kindness. And if you speak kindness, you can communicate. But look what happened. They were hospitable to us for three days. Hospitality. Do you know we have a hospitality team in this church? A team whose entire job it is to make people feel welcome. And we're going to be doing so much more with that team as it grows and develops. But this is a major part of who we are. See, people who have a hospitality mentality live differently than other people. They live with an open hand. They live with an open heart. They live with an open home. Not a closed hand or a closed heart or a closed home open. Isn't that what was happening in that church in the book of Acts? Nobody said that what they had was theirs alone. What's that mean? I'm ready to give, Lord. You show me somebody who needs something I've got, and at your leading, I'll sow it. And this is, this is a part of it, being led by the Spirit of God, not pressure, not compulsion, but letting Him lead. It's an open hand. Not a closed, clenched fist with a death grip on that $8 that you got left in your pocket. <laughs> open hand. What I have, Lord, is available to you. Open heart. So many people closed right here. Got no room for anybody else. They have room in their heart for them, their spouse, and their 2.4 children. But other than that, you know, it's the averages of what people have. The, this is I just me, mine. You don't want to let people in. Ah, uh, that's risky. Ah, uh, who can you trust? Well, I'm not telling you to let somebody in so close, somebody that you don't trust, but you do have to live with an open heart. Father, is there somebody here that needs what I've got? Or I need what they've got. This is family. Open hand, open heart. And folks, this home's going to have to be open. We've seen it before. You saw it with the disciples. Uh, Jesus, we found these guys over here preaching in your name, casting out demons. You want, me, want us to tell them to stop? They're not one of us. Aren't you thankful that the disciples finally got over that? Yes. That Christianity didn't end with 12 dudes 2,000 years ago? The home had to open up. We had to have more people in it. But look at what happened. Verse 8, it happened that the father of Mr. Popular lay sick of a fever. 
and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed and he laid his hands on him and he healed him. Uh, what is that? Oh, come on. What is that? That's grace. Now, how did these non-Greek speaking, non-Greek culture having natives get this grace? They're not believers. They haven't heard the message. These are not people living and walking and fighting by faith. Yet there was an open door to the grace of God. What was it? Kindness. Kindness. Their kindness towards God's people, God's man, God's person opened up a door for an outpouring of the grace of God. And it was not just one person. Verse nine. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. This island had a healing miracle signs and wonders meeting that lasted. I don't know how long. I'm not even quite sure how to read this because the next verse says three months later, we set sail. <laughs> and I'm trying to study it. Like as we speak, how long were they on Malta? And did they ever learn to speak the language? But they had an outpouring of the Holy Ghost and power and fire and people who were sick got up, healed, instantly touched by the grace of God. How'd they get a hold of that? That wasn't a church meeting. Where'd they get that? Kindness opened the door to it. Are you kidding me? Making a fire for somebody that's cold, somebody that washed up on your shore, shipwrecked, and just showing them a little kindness. God said, thank you very much. Let me heal this one. Let me heal that one. Let me touch that one. Let me raise you up and raise you up and raise you up. Could we have, is it possible that we could have a greater display of the grace of God in this church than we've ever had before if we'll be kind to the people that wash up shipwrecked on our shores? It's the key to more. We tie this around our neck, bless God, and we don't take this off. And everywhere we go, it goes. Watch what happens to the kindness. I go over here, it goes with me. I go over here, it goes with me. Man, don't take it off. Don't take it off in the parking lot. Don't, don't take it off when you get home. Don't take it off when you go to work. It's the key to more. It's the key to greater grace. Ask the Maltons. <laughs> First-hand experience of what happens when you show an uncommon kindness. Uncommon. Jesus talked about these things in the book of Luke. Thank you, Lord. He said in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, He said, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Wait, what? What did he say? Love your enemies? There's a couple of revelations coming out here. Number one, um, you have enemies. No. Yes. No. Uh-huh. You got some enemies. Just like Jesus had some people. What two groups? Pharisees and family. I don't know who it is in your life, but there are some people, whether you know it or not, who just seem to have made it their mission their assignment in life to watch and wait for you to trip up, make a mistake, call you on it, judge you on it. 
There are people who are not actively believing God for your prosperity. There are those who, when you do prosper, hate it. They're not rejoicing with you. So what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? Love them. Folks, that's not normal. Can I say it again? That's not normal. But then again, neither are you. Neither am I. If normal is sick and broke and dying and depressed, who wants normal? We were never called to live normal lives. Now, a common kindness is what? I'll be kind to you if and when you're kind to me. But Jesus said, love your enemies. What else did he say? It gets worse. Do good to who? Who am I supposed to do good to? People who did good to me. You scratch my back. I scratch yours. That's how this works, right? You do for me, I do for you. You don't for me, I won't for you. That's common. That's normal. But Jesus said, do good. Look for ways to do good to who? Those who hate you. Bless, he said, those who curse you. Wow, that's not normal. Somebody curses you and you go, Lord, I'm asking you to bless them. I said, bless them, right? Some of our prayers are, Lord, I'm asking you to break their knees. I'm asking you to get them, get them transferred, move them to Alaska, move them somewhere away from, no. What did Jesus say? Somebody's cursing you. Somebody's got it in their mind to bring you down. Listen, I told you favor with God and men doesn't mean everybody likes you. It means you have favor with the right ones. So what does an uncommon kindness do? I bless you. I bless you. I bless you so hard. In Jesus' name, I bless you. Know. And you can do that. You can do it right in the middle of somebody up in your face, somebody chewing you out, somebody you just reaming you out, chewing you up and down. You can look back at them. You know what? You know what, Doug? I bless you today. I love you with the love of God. And I'm going to go over here and pray for you. Like way over here. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you. What? Jesus, please. To him who strikes you on the cheek. This guy just punched you in the face. What do you do? What do you do? You get up, regain your consciousness, and offer the other one? What is that? That's not normal. Can I tell you what is not a scripture? They started it. But Lord, they started it. Not a scripture. Someone punches you. What's he say? Offer the other one. Jesus, this is not normal. From him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. This is not normal. This is not common. This is an uncommon kindness. Uncommon. 
just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Verse 32, though, he says, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Other translations say, you want credit for that? Why? Even sinners love those who love them. That's a common kindness. That's what unsaved people do. That's what people who don't know God, that's what people who do not and have not had the love of God shed abroad in their hearts by the Holy Ghost. And that's all they know to do. They love the ones who love them. The ones who don't, they're under no obligation to love or be kind or be good to them. But he said, even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? You want credit for that? Really? You're going to go before the Lord and say, look at what I did for this person who, you know, did it for me. But look, you don't get, even sinners do that. That's common. That's easy. Man, it takes something else. It takes something else coming from somewhere else to live with an uncommon kindness. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to those, lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward. There it is. Favor with God. Favor with other people. The reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. Why? For He is kind to the unthankful. He is kind to the evil. Therefore, be merciful. Can you see the connection again? Kindness, mercy, there's a reward for it. There is a big time reward for it. It's favor with God. It's favor with other people. You might be thinking, man, I just wish I had some favor with this guy. Why has he got it out for me? Why are they gunning for me? Just sow it. When you realize that everything in this life is a seed sown, you sow kindness, you reap favor. You sow mercy, you reap mercy. You sow grace, you reap grace. Uncommon kindness. Let me give you this last scripture and we'll be done. I, I think perhaps we'll talk more about this next week if the Lord leads us that way. But in 2 Samuel, well, I think I have it here. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, it's a powerful story out of the life of David. And there came a time in David's reign as the king, the Bible says there was peace, there was rest, his enemies were no more. And he was sitting on his throne. And you hear these words from David in 2 Samuel chapter 9. He said, verse 1, now David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Same word. That I may show him that hesed. Is there anybody left, he said, from the house of Saul? Why? I want to show him some kindness. For Jonathan's sake. Now, if you were to back up into his relationship with Jonathan, at this point, Jonathan's dead. Jonathan is gone. He died on the field of battle. But while they were young men, the two of them entered into a covenant. Now here's Jonathan, Saul's son, who 
as far as he's concerned, has right to the throne. And yet David has been anointed by the prophet. This is going to be the next king. But instead of being threatened by David, instead of being intimidated by him, instead of fighting him, these two have been knit together by the hand of God. Their souls have been knit together. And their last conversation, I think, was Jonathan saying to David, when you come into your kingdom, come on, this is uncommon. Some, somebody who seems like they're taking your place, somebody who seems like they've gotten something that this belongs to me. I'm entitled to this. You know what he's saying? When you come into your kingdom, I'm entering into covenant right now and the Lord judged between me and you on this. I'm asking you, show my family kindness. That's what he said to him. Be kind. And they entered into covenant that day, a covenant of kindness. And now all these years later, David's an older man. Jonathan's gone. And yet what's he sitting on that throne saying, give me somebody to be kind to. See, here's somebody who knows how kind God's been to him. And when you get a revelation of that, what comes out of you is God, give me somebody to show that same kindness to somebody. Is there anybody left in this house for Jonathan's sake, for Jonathan's sake, for Jonathan's sake. And then he finds this old servant of King Saul and he calls him and he says, were you Saul's servant? He says, I was. And he said, is there anybody left in, in, in Saul's house that I can be kind to for Jonathan's sake? And the servant said, well, he, Jonathan has a son, but he's lame in both his feet. David said, does he have one that's not lame? I'm looking for somebody not so lame. <laughs> David said, where is he? And his servant said, he's in Lodabar. And David said, is there anybody closer? No. You know what David said? Go get him. Go get him and bring him to me. And they did. And it was Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. And he fell down before King David. And David says, are you Mephibosheth? He says, I am. And can you imagine how afraid this guy would have been? He's out there in Lodabar hiding because David might think, I need to take out the house of Saul before anybody tries to come and take this throne. But that's not how he thinks. This is an uncommon way of thinking. David said, said to him, don't be afraid. I'm going to show you kindness for Jonathan's sake. And then Mephibosheth said, how is it you look upon such a dead dog as I am? And you know what? David didn't even respond to him. He just turned to the servant and said, I am restoring to Mephibosheth all of his father's land, his grandfather's land, all of his father's and grandfather's servants and his servant's sons. Mephibosheth went from lame in his feet, broke having nothing to something like 30 some odd servants with who knows how much land. And David said, and you will eat bread at my table continually. Woo. Kindness Woo. did that. Amen. That's what kindness does. Yes. Doesn't matter how lame somebody is. Doesn't matter how far away they are. Kindness goes and gets them. Kindness elevates them. Kindness restores to them what was lost. Kindness puts them and gives them a seat 
at the table. Now, why didn't David even respond to Mephibosheth? Well, I'm a dead dog. Why do you look at me like this? Didn't even respond to him. Why? Because it wasn't about him. It's about Jonathan. It was about the one he was in covenant with. He's like, little buddy, this ain't about you. How can you be kind to somebody that doesn't deserve it? Because it ain't about them. It's about the one you're in covenant with. You want to know what the Bible says? I know you do. <laughs> Ephesians chapter four, guys, go ahead. Ephesians chapter four. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification or building up that it may impart grace to the ones who hear it. Are your words building people up? Yes. Or are your words tearing people down? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind. Be kind to one another. Now look at what goes with kindness. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Listen to the, the King James Bible. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. Oh God, how could you look on such a dead dog as I? Baby, hush. It ain't even about you. It ain't even about you. How could you do this for such a worm as I? Baby, come on. He, yeah, he loves you, but he didn't do this for you. This great forgiveness and grace that he has shown us, you want to know who he did it for? Jesus. The one he's in covenant with. I did it for Jesus' sake. I did it because he paid the price I asked him to pay. I did it because he rose up victorious. And now I'm giving you a place in him. And you know what he said? In his kindness. This is literally what the Bible said in the book of Ephesians. When he's showing you his grace in his kindness, he said, I'm going to seat you in heavenly places. Just what David did for Mephibosheth, God did it for you. He did it for me. It was kindness that put you in that seat. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Stand up on your feet. Thank God for his kindness. Thank God for his kindness. Somebody say, thank God for his kindness. Thank God. Lift up a hand and say, thank God for his kindness. Just tell the Lord, you've been kind to me. You've been gracious to me. And I thank you for your kindness, your kindness. It'll unlock favor, ladies and gentlemen. It will flat unlock favor with God and with other people. Let me just give you something you can put into practice like today. The Bible says a soft answer does what? Turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger, soft, tender. That has to do with volume. Kindness can be demonstrated and shown by the volume you choose to respond with. 
Now, somebody comes at you in wrath. They started it, Lord. Not a scripture. (laughs) You can turn away or turn down their anger by and with a soft answer. Soft. That's kindness. But a harsh word. What's What's a harsh word? A loud word. What's that do? It turns up their anger even more. Have you heard the expression, that escalated quickly? Why? Because you yelled back. But what's a soft answer do? Turns it away. That's the power of kindness. Praise the Lord. Did you get anything out of this this morning? Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you and remember... You are always welcome here in the House of Faith.